Welcome to AMD on the Hill, your opportunity to keep up with the latest policy and advocacy news from the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. AMD on the Hill is produced in association with AMD on the Go and available on the same podcast channel. Support for this podcast is brought to you by U.S. Post-Acute Care. And now here is your host for AMD on the Hill, Alex Bardock. Hello and welcome to AMDA on the Hill, your periodic update on AMDA's public policy and advocacy activities. My name is Alex Bardock and I'm the Director of Policy and Advocacy here at AMDA. Uh, as is customary now, I uh, just wanted to quickly update you on what we have been doing or what's been going on in the public policy and advocacy arena over the last uh, month or so. Uh, and I'll start, of course, with uh, where we are with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, I'm sure by now most of you are aware of the announcements that have uh, happened over the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, <clears throat> the main one, of course, being that uh, vaccine mandates in the nursing home and now throughout the healthcare system. Um, we are, of course, very supportive of the, of the mandate um, and continue to uh, do everything we can to ensure that there is vaccination rates among staff and residents are continue to go up. Uh, however, with the mandate announcement, one of the concerns now uh, turns to the staffing, a major staffing crisis in nursing homes. Uh, we're hearing just dire stories around the country uh, of nursing facilities that are unable to, uh, to staff um, uh, their, their buildings. Uh, this is something that we're very aware of. This is something we have spoken to uh, the federal government about. Uh, it's clearly not uh, just a nursing home problem. It's uh, definitely a healthcare problem. Uh, but it is um, an issue felt in the nursing home. Uh, we are aware that um, even when you're trying to go through staffing agencies or other ways to get staff to your nursing home, it's very difficult to do so because uh, one, number one, you're competing again with the rest of the healthcare system and you're unable to do that because you can't pay some of the prices that are being charged by the staffing agencies. Uh, our state task force on COVID-19 has been discussing this issue and talking about how they can leverage uh, their uh, advocacy activity in their states uh, in order to um, figure out a way to staff the nursing homes and, and, and you know, have appropriate payment, uh, but not in a way that's uh, you know, certainly impossible for uh, the nursing home. But obviously the staffing crisis is something that is uh, very relevant to COVID, but it goes beyond that. Um, just recently, EMDA issued a statement on staffing uh, but I think we're going to continue to take a look at this issue and sort of respond uh, as conditions warrant. Uh, so that's something we'll monitor. The other thing that we have been talking to uh, the CDC and CMS about is the availability of a monoclonal antibody treatment. Um, obviously, this has been somewhat of a, in literal terms, a lifesaver for many residents uh, in nursing homes uh, when it is used. And uh, what we're hearing now is with the announcements from CDC is that um, many pharmacies are just don't have the, um, the monoclonal antibody treatment available. Uh, and so unfortunately, it's um, the, the things on the ground have changed a little bit. This is something we have talked to CDC about. Um, they did, you know, sort of let us know that obviously the conditions around the, the monoclonal antibody treatment have changed as well. It's more widely used, um, you know, in all healthcare settings. So it's not as rapidly available as it was earlier on in the pandemic. But at the same time, this is a, a very vital treatment to nursing home residents, uh, even in post-exposure prophylaxis uh, or in other ways. And so 
we made CDC aware of this. I think they are, and um, you know they're they're going to have I'm sure their conversations internally, and we'll see if we can um, continue uh, to provide monoclonal antibody treatment as it is as I mentioned a vital um, in this situation. So I think those are the probably the two biggest. Um, issues in terms of treatment of COVID. The other thing that has happened over the last month is that um, the CDC announced that they are providing additional dollars uh, to help nursing facilities. Um, well, I guess it could help with the staffing issue, but the, the issue money for strike teams. Uh, this was something that AMDA had been advocating for for quite some time now since the passage of the American Rescue Plan, which allocated um, $500 million each in both Medicare and Medicaid dollars uh, to establish and run uh, strike teams in various states. Um, within the announcement, CDC did mention that that funding will be available to the states. However, there aren't too many details as of this moment as to how it will be rolled out. Uh, for our part, AMDA has uh, long, uh, has several months ago now, uh, developed a policy brief on sort of the best practices around strike teams. They were deployed earlier in the pandemic in, in many states, uh, some very successful. And so we wanted to collect uh, those best practices and stories of where uh, those strike teams uh, worked. And, you know, we have shared that document with the CDC. We have uh, shared that document uh, with various states uh, and are hoping that, um, you know, through our state advocacy and through this money being available, we can set up uh, in many states these strike teams that could help with booster shots and you know other things that are that are necessary currently, especially during, as I mentioned, the staffing crisis. Uh, speaking of, obviously, the booster shot conversation continues uh, to be important. Uh, there are states like Maryland, for example, that their governor announced that anybody in the nursing home is considered to be immunocompromised and therefore eligible for the booster shots. Uh, we know that the F Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, so, uh, voted to say that uh, anybody under 65 does not require a booster shot. So um, it's interesting, you know, whether or not uh, the healthcare uh, personnel will be getting <laughs> boosters. Uh, I think there's continuing debate around that issue. We'll see what um, other recommendations come out, but for the time being, uh, we saw that, you know, uh, where the FDA recommended that. And uh, but that, you know, uh, on the resident side, different states are handling in different ways. Uh, and But I think it's important that we are prepared um, to administer booster shots uh, if and when they are uh, appropriate. I think those are the major highlights around COVID. Uh, obviously, things change on a daily uh, basis. And so uh, by the time uh, you may be even uh, watching the update, it might, might be something new that happens. So uh, we'll keep you updated. Um, turn our attention a little bit uh, from COVID to uh, Capitol Hill and what we've been doing uh, on the Hill is there are several things uh, that are going on. Obviously, Capitol Hill right now is um, most of their bandwidth is spent on uh, what to do with reconciliation. Uh, it's the $3.5 trillion package, which is uh, you know, subject to change, of course. And they're trying to figure out uh, where does it go from here. Um, and it's quite unclear. And, and um, we'll see where all, the, all of that turns out. Uh, on our part, what we have been advocating for uh, several things. Um, one is the looming physician pay cuts. Uh, that is in the, in the proposed physician fee schedule that I've talked about in previous updates. There are a number of cuts. Um, one, because of budget neutrality, there is a 3.75% cut uh, to the physician fee schedule. There's also a sequester uh, that's gonna go into effect to another 2%. There are some additional cuts uh, because of the MIPS program and some other things. Uh, so we have aligned with the uh, physician specialty community 
uh, in sending letters to Capitol Hill uh, asking them to resolve this issue. Uh, what we are hearing is that's likely uh, to be addressed at the end of the, end, the end of the year rather than through the uh, mentioned the reconciliation process I just mentioned. But it is important to keep up the pressure and to for the Hill to continue to understand that uh, cuts to particularly the nursing home services at a moment like this, when, when I've mentioned the staffing issues and many other issues, is just uh, going to be very difficult to absorb uh, and going to be devastating for patient care and access to care. Uh, so we are very active on that front. Um, hopefully you're aware of it. If, if you'd like to send a letter or uh, get involved, uh, certainly please let us know. Uh, the other issue we continue to address on Capitol Hill, in addition to the administration, is kind of have a, a dual um, strategy here, and that is the public medical director uh, listing. Uh, this is also, of course, related to COVID-19 and transparency around nursing homes. And so what we have been uh, doing is uh, responding to the proposed rule where it asked on the Care Compare website to list additional affiliations in addition to the hospital, which is what's written there now, to provide additional affiliations if, if an attending physician is serving as a medical director of a nursing facility or is even an attending at that facility. Uh, not only did AMDA provide comments in several of our uh, state chapters, but several members of Congress sent their own letter uh, to Capitol, to CMS asking them uh, to implement such a change. Uh, this of course will be welcome news if we do include this information. Again, you know, we know from uh, COVID response that uh, vaccine hesitancy, other things uh, are much, much better um, if there's an engaged medical director, if the families have access to the medical director, if CMS has access to the medical director and can send them uh, materials and information uh, directly from them. So this is an important issue. Uh, this is not just a federal issue, it's also a state issue. Uh, and I wanna commend uh, California, where in California, there's a bill um, that has actually passed their uh, assembly and is now on the governor's desk uh, that would require several things. One, it would require medical directors to be trained uh, by the uh, American Board of Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine that certifies medical directors or something of its equivalent. Uh, so they would have to get um, certified within five years of practice as a medical director. Uh, but also include a public listing of those medical directors. So we view this as an important step forward to provide transparency around this role, uh, to ensure the patients, families, residents, the public, uh, the governor, or the government understands uh, who these people are in these facilities, what their training is, and what their skill level is uh, to, to you know, fulfill all of the requirements that the medical director is supposed to fulfill. Uh, so congratulations to California. Uh, we're hoping that, you know, that that would be adopted something similar in other states. And of course, we are mirroring a lot of that effort um, on the federal level. Um, I think that's um, majority of what I wanted to cover today. Um, we uh, are obviously talking about other issues. Uh, you may have seen a, 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 an article in the New York Times uh, sort of a disturbing articles about the use of antipsychotics. I mentioned on this update that this is an, an issue that AMDA has been working on for many, many years. Uh, we view the, that um, the public listing of a medical director, more information about attending physicians is going to help solve some of those issues because uh, families and residents need to understand why they're on certain drugs, um, you know, and it's all about, are they being used appropriately? Are they being, um, uh, dis discontinued, what, what is going on, what's our goals of care, what's our um, 
uh, what's our care plan. And then that should be a discussion that's had with the clinical leadership of the facility, which is another reason why we view it as an important step to provide um, that information. We currently have a uh, drive to deprescribe initiative uh, that actually tackles uh, some of this issue, understanding how many medications uh, many residents are, are on in the nursing facility. And uh, if we apply geriatric principles, obviously what we're hearing from our members is they should be on a lot, potentially a lot less, but it's about appropriateness and it's about that um, discussion. If you are, uh, if you're curious about that effort, uh, drive to deprescribe, you can visit our website. We do have information uh, available. We also continue are continuing our uh, COVID-19 grand rounds, which cover a number of topics. We had an excellent one around vaccine mandates, uh, religious exemptions, as well as medical exemptions. That has been a hot topic of conversation uh, about how nursing facilities are handling um, some of those issues. What's the role of the medical director in those conversations? Uh, so we've had a number of uh, webinars that have tackled those issues and provided some examples on how, uh, you know, if you're struggling with those issues, uh, what you could potentially uh, be doing. Uh, the last thing I'll say is we continue to also host um, webinars around uh, our campaign for healing together. Um, this is uh, COVID-19 continues to take a tremendous mental toll on uh, just the entire healthcare profession, but particularly those in the front lines uh, treating patients and residents in nursing facilities. So a Healing Together campaign is really meant for anybody to come together to discuss issues, um, to vent, to uh, you know, find a common ground with someone else who may be facing the same issues. Uh, but I certainly encourage you to, to take a look at that initiative. Uh, we've had several, um, successful, um, I wouldn't call them webinars, but discussions uh, in, online. And, you know, hopefully you, you're able to join us as well. Uh, I'll leave it all, uh, I'll leave it there. There should be links on how to uh, register, how to find out more about any of the topics covered. Uh, as usual, thank you for being involved. Thank you for staying engaged with us. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing during this uh, continued difficult time. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get better at some point uh, and actually see each other in, in person um, uh, at some point. Uh, but yeah, my email is available. Please feel free to reach out, ask any questions. Uh, we're happy to, happy to help. Thank you very much. Delivering true excellence in post-acute medicine requires more investment, resources, and infrastructure than ever before. U.S. Post-Acute Care, a physician-led practice group, has built a business model dedicated to providing high-quality post-acute patient care on a national scale. We make it easy and beneficial for regional practices to leverage our resources to drive the growth and quality of their practices. Visit our website at uspostacutecare.com to see for yourself. Together, we'll be stronger. References from this podcast can be found at paltc.org policy.